0: My guest today is described by New York Times bestselling author Kevin Corsi as a fresh voice amongst the usual author guru crowd who brings the credibility of someone who makes a living doing rather than telling. He describes himself as a pioneer in the application of business and technology trends to learning programs and with a unique ability to identify the connections between business trends, technology and learning and to facilitate the organizational change required to implement the required solutions. Referred to as the learning elite by Chief Learning Officer magazine, teams under Dr. Islam's direction have won international awards for innovative learning content. He is the author of three books in the field of learning and development, and he's here today to talk about his latest book, which is the 12-inch rule of leadership. Kaleen Islam, you're very welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. This is
0: exciting. <laughs> it's my great pleasure. I've looked forward to this since uh, I was introduced to you. Uh, before we get into the the 12-inch rule of leadership, which in itself, I'm, I'm fascinated by your book, because in, in, in Sandra, we have this three-foot rule, which is not, of, of selling. And so <laughs> I'm curious, deadly curious to know more about the 12-inch rule of leadership. Um, but tell me a little bit about your, your background, where you're from and, and, and how you got into this world of learning and development and leadership.
1: Sure, sure, I, I appreciate that. And I think, I think it makes sense uh, whenever I start talking about my background to really start with, with sort of my core values and what I believe, right? So I believe that education is the great equalizer, bar none, you take any uh, sort of social economic status, any variable that goes into life success, car- career success, and education is the number one indicator, more than race, more than gender, more than sexual preference, more than more than um, more than anything. So I, I truly believe that, and I've seen that happen in 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 my life. I'm the uh, first generation immigrant parents from or immigrant uh, mother from um, from Panama uh, came here, not speaking the language, not um, uh, not highly educated, but using education. My mother eventually became a. Um, uh, uh, licensed practicing nurse and, and sort of raised above above her station. So education is a great equalizer. And I also believe that the right learning solutions can transform individuals, organizations, and societies. And when I connect the dots backwards, facilitating this um, transformation has been my life's work. Um, starting after I came out of the um, US military working in some very, very poor communities in Bushwick, Brooklyn, teaching school. Uh, teaching school and helping um, young, young men and ladies who had not achieved academic success, helping them achieve that success and become um, uh, helping them raise above their station, so to speak. And then from there, going to corporate America, working on Wall Street for over 20, 25 years, heading up large global learning and development businesses where I had responsibility for customer education, as well as employee education, making sure that our employees and our customers were performing to the best of their ability. And I currently work at Southern Illinois University as an assistant professor of practice in their workforce education development department where I prepare the next generation of people who are gonna be delivering these learning solutions. I essentially train military troops who are interested in becoming educators, either in the public or the, um, or the private sector. And then with my, my consultancy, where <clears throat> we provide learning solutions that include um, individual diagnostics, group, group diagnostics, individual coaching, group coaching, self-paced e-learning courses, workshops and podcasts, all different learning solutions that help people reach their potential and communicate their value. Um, because let's face it, you know, everyone, it's really sexy. Everyone loves being an entrepreneur but most people are gonna be working for someone uh, for most of their lives. And if you wanna uh, get remunerated appropriately, number one, you have to perform at a, at, a, at a high level, and number two, you have to be able to communicate the value that, um, that you bring to that, that organization. So that's what um, I do in, in my um, consultancy, providing those solutions. And my latest book, The 12-Inch Rule of Leadership, is just one of those solutions. And what it does is it introduces you to a values-based approach to leadership. And what makes this book different than a lot of other books about um, leadership is typically you have someone who has done something well, has, has had some success, and they'll write a book about leadership. And essentially what they're saying is, hey, if you do the things I did as a leader, you'll be successful too. And we all know that's a bowl of crap, right? That, that's not true. Um, I'm a big, big fan of of Barack Obama. I, I think he was a phenomenal leader, but he has a different personality and different disposition than I do. So to tell me, hey Colleen, just do what Barack Obama did and you'll be a great leader, you know, I don't buy that. You know, mm-hmm. um, another thing that makes this book so this book actually is, is not based on one person, it's based on a number of people. So 13 people I think I interviewed for this. Uh, for this book, and they were all trained in this thing called the 12-inch rule early in their career lives, right? And and then suddenly, you know, you, know, you fast forward a few years and they, they all have taken off dramatically in terms of their um, their career success and their leadership um, in the organization. Okay. Another thing that makes this book different than other books on leadership is uh, other books on leadership tend to be single industry focused. So Jack Welch will write a book and he'll talk about what he did at, at GE or Bill Russell will write a book and talk about what he did as a basketball player or basketball coach. Um, so single industry, uh, the people that we interviewed for this book uh, have a, are across a number of industries. So we have higher education, uh, we have a, um, someone who is a, um, a chancellor at a, um, at, at a college, we have local government, we have state government, we have um, folks in financial services, manufacturing, we have entrepreneurs, folks in healthcare. Uh, so the thing they have in common is they will use these principles. And all of them have been successful. All of them have different personalities. All of them, um, uh, again, work in different industries. But the thing they have in common are these principles, these values, uh, the 12-inch rule.
0: Okay. Tell me, I'm, I'm deadly curious, uh, just the 12-inch rule first before we get into the principles. Tell me about that concept.
1: Okay. So the 12-inch rule comes out of the uh, college fraternity experience, right? So I'm a, a member of a historically black uh Uh, fraternity or sorority uh, uh, Phi Beta Sigma and in order to get in and this is back uh, this is way back when they used to haze you to get into these uh, these fraternities so you had to learn a bunch of stuff and if you didn't learn this stuff you pretty much got beat up right
0: This, by the way, I have to tell you, is a uniquely American thing. We do not have that in Europe yeah. at all. We, we look at these, you know, groups, sororities, and people, and, and these lat or sorry Greek uh, terms yeah. for them, and we're kind of going. Yeah. Apart from Animal House, which is what we probably know them from, uh, is uh, they, they do. We, we're, we're always okay. I'm speaking person here. I'm always fascinated. But also, kind of look at them askance a little bit as well. So, I'm <laughs> and, I, and I know they have their value, this don't get me wrong. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to know where, where the connect, please, the 12 inch rule to that. I, I,
1: I, I certainly will, but just just to just go ahead and, and make that connection. So, if you look at um, I know most of your listeners are probably over across the pond in uh, in, in Europe, but if you look a lot at a lot of the uh, um. Uh, very successful leaders, especially in the African American community, uh, their background comes from the fraternal experience. So Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a member of a historically black um, fraternity or sorority. Uh, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson, uh, John Lewis. John Lewis. So, these, so these are icons in the African American community, and their background comes from the fraternal uh, experience. But I think the point was, you know, it's 12-inch rule, we had to learn these things to get in, and <clears throat> My plan was not to write a book. It was an observation. So my observation was that the people who joined this organization, who could remember the 12-inch rule after a bunch of years, my observation was that their career trajectory was a lot steeper than those who, who didn't and couldn't remember it. So my, my goal was to write, I was going to sort of share up my academic chops and write another peer review article and say, hey, you know, you know, Dr. Islam's really, really smart. Um, so I started the interviews. And when I got about to the third interview, I said, oh, my God, there is no way I can just publish this in in an academic journal because no one's going to read it except eggheads like me, right? So I've got to go ahead and pivot and change it and sort of make the wording in sort of plain language, make it more of a narrative so that people will get the benefit of it. So that's sort of the background of how the uh, 12-inch rule of leadership came into existence.
0: I still don't know what the 12-inch rule is, though.
1: Okay, so the of twelve inch uh, rule, uh, the twelve principles: time value, best performance of duty, perseverance, the worth of the example, the virtue of patience, talent, expression, economic wisdom, the value of character, kindly attitudes, pleasure in work, the worth of organization, and the dignity of simplicity. All
0: right, So, I so these that 40 are. Years
1: ago.
0: Wow. I, I, okay. So 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 let me just recap. So make sure I've understood this. These are values that you learned as part of your 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 membership application. To this group, and so I, I, what threw me a little bit was the inch bit—the twelve inch rather than say twelve principles for life type of thing. Um, okay, so 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 it's it's the, the, each inch, if you like, is a is a different value or a different principle. Yeah, you, you could it's a got principle. It, got, it, got, yeah. it, got it, got it, got it. Yeah, you yeah, know that's radically different from the three foot rule, which is more about. Yeah. You know, if there's somebody less than three feet away from you, introduce yourself. Type of thing. Completely different. (laughs) (laughs) Joking, cheese. Um, So, okay, in in 45 minutes that we have, we we, you're certainly not. Of course, that's what the book is for. Us get into them in depth. Tell me a little bit about the ones that were your kind of go-to principles. The ones that, I guess, you both cling to the most, but also I'm interested in the ones that you struggle with the most because, like anything, life's not that simple, and if principles were easy, we'd all have them, but so, um, yeah, that's, I'm, I'm, you know, some of them, I, I, from what you said, and you'll have to recap them, make perfect sense to me. I'm interested in the ones that, uh, that are the standouts for you, you think, the world would be a better place if we applied this, this, and this. <laughs>
1: um. The value of character. All right, Um, showing good character at all times. I mean, it's tough. My my mother used to always say, "Never let someone take you out of your character," and I never understood it as a young, you know, lad, sort of uh, uh, growing up. But as I got older, I I realized that there are always going to be things that are coming out at you that are going to make you act in ways that you know might might not necessarily reflect who you truly are. We've all been there in, in moments of, of stress. But understanding that your character is something that's going to uh, basically result in your legacy, <laughs> okay, than maintaining your character at all times, whatever that character is for, um, for you. So that, that's very important. Um, the worth of example. So in the book, we have a story about um, uh, Joseph West. And he's a Harvard-trained epidemiologist. And he was working to to get some business, and this is sort of pre-internet, pre-when you can just go online and see uh, someone's picture. So there were a bunch of back and forth between him and this uh, large company he was trying to get business from. So he gets the interview. He and his team go down to, um, I I believe it was Texas, and they go into the conference room, and the executives start to walk in, and this is the U.S., (laughs) mind you. And he could see from the look on their faces when they walked in the room that they didn't expect that Dr. Joseph West, the Harvard trained epidemiologist that they were meeting with, was going to be Af- was going to be African American. <laughs> so so he talks in the book he talks about how, you know, they start the, the normal back and forth that takes place when you first have, have, have a meeting. And they mm-hmm. were they were surprised to know that or to learn that he was, you know, really into golf. He was actually a, a card carrying Republican and big fan of, of Ronald Reagan, uh, was a c- cigar aficionado. So these guys they really had a lot in common. Uh, so he, he ends up getting the business, and about six months later they ask him, hey, do you have someone else? You know, we have some other consulting needs. Do you have someone else who can do? I forget, you know, exactly what it was. And he recommended someone else. And this also happened to be an African American. Firm. So he talks about how he came back six months later, and the person he referred was sitting in the in the um, office waiting to meet with the uh, with the executives. And he says, "You know, I never, I'll never know whether it was how I presented myself that allowed these people to get the um, the opportunity, but I want to believe it it is." So the worth of example, you never know how the example that you set, how you conduct yourself, may impact not just you, uh, but a lot of other people around around you. So that's you know. That's another one. Uh, the number one principle is time value. and and uh, uh, the members of the fraternity we we always joke. time value is number one for a reason. Uh, you know people talk about managing time. You can't manage time. What you can do is you can manage what you do with the time you have. Uh, so the people in the book they tell they tell stories about situations where they had to, uh, you know, had to effectively manage what they did with the time that they had. We've got uh, the chief information officer for the city of Bloomingdale, New Jersey. And mm-hmm. he talks about how he was on his way to City Hall to meet with the mayor to talk about one pretty important topic. While he was on his way driving to the um, uh, to City Hall, um, he finds out that there's been a ransomware attack on the city. Now, this means that all emergency... Um, operations are at risk. You know, your 911, your, your you know, your ambulance, your your police, your, ho- uh, your, your hospitals. So he he had to make a choice, right? Do I go meet with the mayor on on this particular topic, or do I use my time differently because th- this is more important? So making sure that you're spending your time on the right on the right things, making sure that you're respectful of time. Um, the number two time waster, I think it's according to a, a poll by Gallup. What do you think the number, what do you think the number one time waster is in corporate America?
0: I would say meetings Pur- purposeless meetings
1: Okay yeah. meetings is number two email was email was actually number one but meetings okay was number, meetings was number was number two and you, you look at how inefficient a lot of people um, are at hosting meetings right you don't, they don't have an agenda, and if they do have an agenda they don't have, they don't have a time uh, set aside for for each item on the agenda um, a lot of times they'll start meetings late. Right? All the meetings mm-hmm. were all over. So that's not being that's not being respectful of people's of, of people's time. So I, I tell the story in, in a book and I learned this when I was in the military. If you want people to show up on time for your meetings you have to start on time. And what that means is whenever the meeting is supposed to start, you just start. So I had taken over uh a role at a at a financial services firm, and as part of my role, I had responsibility for for a pretty large pretty large project. Um, so this was my first meeting. My boss said, "Hey, you're, you're taking this over. We've had someone doing it in the interim, but this this responsibility belongs to you. So get up to speed and start you know start running the project." So I go to the first meeting, and I'm there. You know, five minutes before the meeting starts, the only person in the room is me and the the person hosting the meeting, and you know so. 10, 15 minutes later, I'm looking at my watch. It's 10 minutes after the meeting was supposed to start, and now people start sort of rolling in. Um, there's no agenda. there's going around having sort of uh, basic conversation. and I said, "Hey guys, you know what? you know our boss basically said, "I'm in charge of this. you know it's, it's, we're already running, run, running late. Why don't we end this meeting?" <laughs> I'll send out a meeting request for the new stuff. I'll go through any notes that I have and we'll start you know we'll start next week. Next week, the meeting was supposed to start at 1 o'clock. At 1 o'clock, it was me and one other person in the room. I got up and I just started talking. We're going to go ahead. And as people walked in, they, they basically see me standing in front of a room with no one talking. And they start looking around, like, what's, you know, what's wrong with this guy? And they asked me to recap. I said, no, we're not going to recap anything. The meeting started at 1. Right? I want to be respectful of your time. I need you to be respectful of mine. The stuff that we covered before 1, you missed because you weren't here. Well, mm-hmm. long story short, the next meeting, everyone's there on time
0: yeah yeah that's actually I I love that I remember a guy when I worked in Motorola he joined the company fairly senior manager and he obviously wanted to make his mark as well which was important but he called all these people and none of them knew him he was as I said new in the operation and meetings at two o'clock at 59 seconds past two o'clock he locks the door It never, ever happened again. Everybody talked about it, how half the people who should have been in the room were locked out and he just left them outside and he sent out a message saying, when I say two, I mean two. And uh, you, 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 I think you train people on how to, how to deal with you by your example. Yeah. Which, but, so it's interesting, actually, what I'm hearing here, and I, well, I know we've only explored a few of them, but I'm, I'm, I'm hearing these uh, interconnections between them so, for example, you, you talked about example. Well, if you want to demonstrate the value of your time, you have to lead by example with that. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and character comes into it as well because that's the one immutable thing that we have. and. I think we've seen over the last few years how that, how important that is, particularly on the sub, on the public stage. Without getting into politics, yeah. you'll, you yeah. you see it the world over. I'm not picking on any particular place yeah. or yeah. individuals. Characters, characters, and how important it is, and how people will often give it up so easily. Then maybe it's not true character. I don't know what what your thoughts on that are. Um, but uh, so how did you? Because you you have a military background, and, and what I'm interested in because. In my mind, I've never served in the military, Ireland is a neutral nation, we have an army maybe of a thousand people, we have one helicopter and two trainer planes, that's it, that's our entire, oh we have one naval, we have one ship that's used for patrolling to make sure nobody nicks our fish, right, that's about it, so, but I'm always fascinated by the the, the military mind and what i 'm what I'm also interested in is in terms of so you would have come across these twelve principles as part of your your fraternity um, What did you learn in the military that might have been that would have either emphasized elements of those or maybe there was something in addition to to that that, that you would have learned and, and that that 's now part of how you interact with people
1: yeah, so the military was a long ti- was, was a long time ago, so uh, in hindsight, I actually did an interview. I did a um, uh, with um, uh, Chief Anthony Brinkley. So, uh, Chief Anthony Brinkley, he was the Command Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force, and what that is is basically the highest enlisted rank that you can get. So, out of everyone that joins the military in, in the U.S., only ten percent reach the um, uh, um, the grade of Chief Master Sergeant. Of that ten percent only 10% of those reach the level of command chief, master, sergeant. And that's what Chief Anthony Brinkley was. So as we, we were talking about the 12-inch 12, 12 rule, and I, as I would go through the rules, he said, oh, yeah, yeah, here's what we call it in the military. And then he said, okay, and I clearly can't remember top of mind what, what some of those things were. Uh, oh, best performance of duty. So um, the second principle is best performance of, of duty, right? And um, he said, oh, in the military, we call that always achieve excellence. <laughs> right. So, what, what I found it was interesting how I didn't make the connection early, and you can't make the connection. You can't connect the dots going forward. To use a Steve Jobs, and you can only connect it, connect them going, um, going backwards. And in having those conversations uh, with with him, there are a lot of synergies around some of the things that the military teaches, and the military does a phenomenal job. I mm. think of of um, um, getting people from different backgrounds. You know, um, different demographics, different socioeconomic situations, and get them on the same page and on the same team. And, uh, you know, from my perspective as a leader, that all starts with vision. It it starts with vision. And vision is about values. What do you value determines what you do. And that's why, you know, I find this book. I'm so excited about this book. And the people we interviewed, they said said that we use the 12-inch rule every day. We don't use every Mm. principle every day. But every day there is not one of those principles that we do. So you know, if you're going through through tough times, and we all do, perseverance is one of the <laughs> is one of the values or one of the principles of the 12-inch rule. Kindly attitudes is one of the um, principles in the 12-inch rule. The dignity of simplicity is one of the values of the 12-inch rule. Like how many times have we had leaders who, rather than trying to get the message across, was trying to show how smart they were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they start using these mm-hmm. big words and these run on sentences to show that they're smarter than everybody. But 60, 70% of the people in the room don't understand what, at, at the end of the meeting, 60 to 70% of the people in the room don't understand what they're supposed to do,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Uh, that's uh, one uh, issue. Yeah. And then when, when you're not using a values-based approach to leadership, and, and oh my God, I've had some phenomenal experiences with this. I've turned organizations around uh, with this, because w- when you have a values-based approach to leadership, you just teach the values. That's all you have to do. And you have to uh, uh, um, you know, sort of walk the talk, so to speak. Um, but what happens over time is people in your organization understand what's important based on the values. And they're able to make better decisions for themselves. So they're coming to you for less uh, to, to make decisions less and less because they understand the values that, you know, that are that you're trying to engender in your organization. Mm. Uh, so probably one of the best uh, uh, examples that I have around sort of values really working. Um, I was running a um, a learning and development organization. It was global. Um, we we're over in um, we we're in the U.S., um, um, EMEA, well, yeah, Europe, Middle East, and Africa. That's pretty much the globe, right? <laughs> and. I would always ask, when they would come and talk about work that they were doing, I would always ask, well, how does that align with the vision of our organization? Most times it always did, but I wanted them to understand that when you make decisions, it has to be based on what's on the vision, what has to be based on the vision of the the organization. And I I remember we were in a meeting, and I had what I thought was a great idea. Hey, guys, how about we do X, Y, Z? And all of my direct reports looked at me, they said, well, Colleen, how does that align with the values of our organization? <laughs> and I said, "Man, mm. I did it. You know, I got it. You know, they understand it, and mm. that was passed down to the organization. And you know, so all of the sort of management leadership of the organization, we were really able to focus on sort of strategic decision makings and making hard mm. choices and hard decisions because all of the easier stuff was handled below us because everyone was working in alignment with the values of the organization."
0: Mm. I have a few questions that have popped into my head as as, as I'm listening to you, Kaleem. One is, in your experience with these principles, where where do you find is the greatest impediment to adoption of the principles within an organization?
1: Well, it depends on where you sit in the organization. Um, So if if, if something's starting from the CEO, then it's it's a lot easier, (laughs) right? Mm. Um, if you're a middle management, it, it's harder, right? So because of the organization above you, um, those above you aren't supporting it, you know, and those below you don't buy, buy into it, you know, there's a big problem. Um, mm. I have experienced success in that in that space, though. So um, uh, years ago, we, um, I was running an L&D organization, and we were, we were trying to figure out how do we develop faster, better, cheaper learning solutions of high quality, right? And um, the old instructional design approaches just, just weren't getting it. So we decided to adopt an Agile approach to developing learning programs. Now, typically Agile comes from the software development world. But in, in our organization, the software development world was still using a, um, uh, what they call a waterfall approach to project management. Mm. The training team wanted to use Agile. Um, uh, and which we did. So we didn't have anyone else in the organization that was using agile except, except the learning organization. There was no model for us to, uh, to to call on because no one had ever used agile to develop training uh, before, but, but we believed in it. And we had a lot of success. And so what happened as a result of the success that, that we had with the learning organization in terms of using agile as a development approach, the entire organization, the world's largest post-trade infrastructure organization Adopted agile because of the success that the training organization has had with it, mm. and that's unusual. Usually, it's IT that sort of leads the way, or you know, or sales mm. or human resource. So that was um, uh, that was pretty rewarding. Mm. I, when,
0: when it comes to the adoption of principles, as I would imagine that most organizations, if you look at the individual members of the organizations, that they probably gravitate automatically that they live out, maybe, you know, character for example or leading by example and so on. That, that they'll have this maybe patchwork quilt of application. Just what they bring from their own lives and then you, you come along or they, they, they get to read the book and your goal then is to open their eyes to the blind spots that they may have as well or areas that they might not have considered. And I'm curious to know your experience where the role of, when I say leadership, I'm talking about the CEO specifically, because we we all see, certainly in, in the public sphere, leaders with a do as I say mantra, not do as I do. They don't lead by example. And therefore, it's one of these, this too shall pass, because people ignore it unless they see it, it's coming from an authentic place from the leader. And I'm wondering how you, I guess what I'm asking is that I can imagine with a CEO who reads the book goes, this is it, this is exactly, you know, it aligns with their own beliefs versus the one who kind of says, I want everybody else to adopt this, but they don't themselves. I'm sure you've come across it, and I'm wondering, yeah. can you have a successful implementation unless every you know the, the, the CEO is authentic in it?
1: Uh, no, no you can't because because when the ceo is not not authentic you, you give space for the centers and you know you you give space for the uh, what they call it, the flavor of the week or the flavor of the month whatever the case may be i was um working in one organization that, that i won't i won't name and um, we had invested a lot of money to train uh, a lot of folks in six sigma I remember you, you mentioned motorola uh, you work for mm. Motorola. Actually I, I received my Six Sigma training from Motorola University. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Good old> <laughs> so as a um as as an organization we said we we were adopting Agile. I'm not saying Agile um, um Six Sigma. And you know, there's mm. certain language there's a certain language that you use when you're practicing Six Sigma. There's certain artifacts that that you have to use. There's a certain cadence to how you um, how you run meetings. Um certain terms that, that you use. So the, the whole organization, every leader in the organization was, was trained in Six Sigma. But then when I would go to the officer's meetings uh, or I'd be in meetings with the, the, the CEO or one of the CEO's uh, direct reports, they weren't practicing any of it. Now, they would show up at the ceremonial training and say, yeah, you, know, you know, we're on board with this. But when you looked at their practice and what they did on, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis, um, it wasn't being practiced. Right, so yeah. the worth. So this goes to the the worth of example, right? <laughs> they weren't showing. They weren't um, living the example that they wanted anyone else to follow. Um, so mm. you know, over time, it sort of fell through and never never got that adoption.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I I can imagine that. And it's also from a trainer's perspective, it's much more difficult to give your best self to an organization where you see that disconnect in 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 the organization. It, it's hard to. to to, to do that, uh, the question I had for you on the principles, which one in your experience is the most difficult to adopt? or should say not adopt to live by.
1: Yeah. Uh, so this is what I believe, and this is what uh, came out in the book as we as we went through the um, through the interviews. Uh, the virtue of patience. <laughs> <laughs> that is hard. That is, that's especially hard yeah. for, for, for a hard charging leader, someone who's trying to implement change, someone who's trying yeah. to, 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 make, to make a difference, uh, being patient and letting things sort of, sort of play, play out. You know? yeah. Partially, sometimes it's because of the, just the disposition of the individual. You're just, just not a patient person, it's not your strong suit, and you've got to work on it. Um, sometimes it's because of outside pressure. Okay, we need to see these results mm-hmm. yesterday. So there's pressure on you, and, and if you don't do it, guess what, you might not have a job. Um, so that's, you know, my experience has been that that's the toughest one for, for me, and in, 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 throughout the book, everyone that we interviewed say, yeah, that's a tough one for me. I'm not, you know, patience is hard for me.
0: Is that twin, because again, I've talked about the overlaps, and here's one that pops into my mind. You talked about the value of perseverance, and are they two sides of the same coin? Because people often, they're not patient, because they don't have the skills of perseverance. They don't have that as part of their makeup and therefore they lose patience too easily. Um, yeah, no, I know they're different because you can be impatient and still persevere, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just wondering how, how much of what we see is really a lack of perseverance.
1: Yeah, so, so um, I think the term that they're using now, or the popular term of the day is, uh, is grit. Right. Is mm. when I think of perseverance, I think of grit, you know. Stuff is tough and, 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 and you might not necessarily want to do this. It's hard for you, it's it's not easy, but you, you find a way to sort of put your nose to the grindstone, so to speak, and 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 make it happen. So I tell the story mm. in the book. Um as part of my consultancy, I was essentially uh, running the operation for a um small human resource um HRMS implementation firm. And in the middle of a really big project that could make or break the company. uh, uh, The technician who was working on the effort quit, and the project manager who was overseeing the project quit. So you had two layers of information about this particular project that disappeared. And and I had to step in and and, and manage the project. And the company that we were working for, I mean, it took about the, the levels of bureaucracy. Mm. <laughs> and and the different mm. you know processes you had to go through to get any anything done was overwhelming and i wasn't close to it because i was t- sort of two levels above where the work was was happening and you know for, so for about 6 months i had to learn everything about this company cuz it was t- pretty much too late to bring in another project manager or, or or another technician and it was tough and i hated it i really did mm. but i understood that hey if we don't we don't get through this right there might not be another project. I mean, the company might, might go under. Uh, so I had yeah. to sort of suck it up, persevere, show show grit, and get the work done. And you know, and I'm glad I did because we actually got another contract as a result of the work that we, uh, we did with this particular firm.
0: Yeah, I, 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 as, as you're talking about that situation, what, what I'm feeling is the overwhelming desire to punch somebody when you're in those situations. <laughs> but
1: the value I mean, of character—I they... I won't do it because I've got the value of character. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I, I think that's where the grit comes in. It's not so much in terms of the outward expression of grit. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not giving in to the overwhelming desire to punch somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Um, It's—it's it's a fascinating area. I—it's. I, it's, I think the principles make so much sense, and that what happens I, I, what i 'm trying to, I'm struggling with really is is i 'm thinking it through in terms of organizations i 've worked with or worked for, and where you see the principles in action, I think you feel it before you see it that's my that's my sense is that when you go into an organization that is a Principle-led or value-led organisation, you tend to feel it in the energy first, and then what you do is you discover, oh, they're leading by example, or they're you know they're, they're pushing through that that life isn't so easy, but they, they get together, they support each other, and that they, they, they work by character. So, and I'm just wondering if there's something in that is, is it, the sense of that we we sense it, we feel it before we ever see it. And that how it's expressed at a subconscious level through people. I just wanted to explore that with you briefly. Does that even make any sense?
1: Yeah, I think I know. I think I know what you're you're getting at. I I would say it differently. So Mm. what I I would say is every organization has values. They, Mm. They do, right? The question is, are you intentional about what those values are? Or are they just happening organically? And, and mm. I think you're going to be more successful if you're intentional, right? And I don't, I don't necessarily think, you know, it's, just, it's sort of the chicken or the egg. Do people feel it or do you, do you tell them? Um, I think you're probably best served saying, here's our organization. Here's what we value, right? Mm. So that starts from your interviewing process, right? You, you, start, you, you try, to, try to bring in people whose values are aligned with the values of your organization, um, Simon mm. Sinek talks about it, he says, you know, start with the why, you know, mm. you know, what you believe, you know, you know, so I, I, I think that organizations are best served when they're intentional about, you know, what, what type of values do we want to engender in this organization, in this organization, right, and then being intentional about building it into your everyday activities. So again, in the organization that I ran, it it, w- it was all about making sure that there was alignment between mission and vision. So we, we talked mm-hmm. about it all the time, it's important. What's the mission, what's the vision? I used to give out cards, little, um, almost like business cards. On, on one side was the, the, the mission of the organization and our, and our motto, um, solving business issues with learning solutions. And then on the other side was the values. And every once mm-hmm. in a while, I would sort of walk out into the bullpen and sort of uh, meet, with, meet with folks and I would say, hey, what are our values? What's, you know, what, what's our mission? And if they answer the question correctly, I give them a little $5, $5 gift card. Gift card. Um, hmm. I would do weekly videos where if someone in the organization did something that really exemplified the values that, um, that we were trying to engender on the video, I'd sort of give them a, sh- a shout out. Hey, you know, Valtina did this, This aligns with the value. Uh, you hmm. know, thank you very much. And you know o- over time, everybody bought in to a person. Everyone bought in. Uh, and everyone wanted to live those, those values, you know, because they, mm. understood they understood that, hey, it's what the organization cares about, number one. Um, number two, I'm going to be rewarded and recognized, you know, for, for living up to, the, to those values. And then no, number three, if at any time I see someone in leadership not doing it and I bring it to their attention, you know, I get rewarded for bringing it to, this, to, to their attention. Imagine this. Yeah. I'm rewarded yeah. for telling my boss you're wrong right? Yeah. And, and you yeah. can't just do that. You can't just say, hey, tell me when I'm wrong. You have to have a framework, you know, by which to do it. And I think that those principles, those values, the 12-inch rule gives you a framework that you can have those conversations.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. I, I have one last question for you on this area, and then I just a couple of quick personal questions in terms of your own, uh, your own life. Um, I... I I started to work in large organizations back in the 80s, then through the 90s, early 2000s, when I went out on my own. And, and, as, and I've worked with a lot of other organizations since. And I, I think I've sensed the change in terms of how the, the, the realization of, and the importance of, of being a value-led organization. My early experience was very much where, in the 80s, there appeared to be a disconnect between the ivory towered, as we would see them, leaderships and everybody else. It was us and them. It was the kind of places where the leaders in the organisation would have had designated car spaces with their names on it, and some. It was even one organisation where they had their own designated canteen or cafeteria or cafeteria, cafeteria. Sorry, cafeteria, um, and. What you'd find is that the leaders would would bring in some consultants and they'd come up with these mission statements and the value statements. Then they'd have them turned into posters, and they'd have these virtue signaling posters around the organisation. Uh, put the customer, at, you know, at the, the heart of everything we do. Customer is yep. king. Customer number one. But then when you saw what they did, they screwed the customer. They didn't because the. The the KPIs of the organisation of the managers further down were not aligned with the what they were being told. Now I, I'm wondering. I think that's changed. I'm curious to know what you what you say that, or or is it still very much a, a, a hodgepodge? Because I love these organisations. You see them, the the kind of the fifty best or, uh, companies to work for those organizations have their act together and seem to know what they're doing. And as I said, you can feel it when you go in there and you can feel the organizations when you go in and it's just dead and people can't wait for five o'clock to get home. And yeah, uh, yeah, I'm curious to know, is that kind of 80s, 90s mentality, is it still around and um, yeah, and and, and how when you see it, you go about fixing it?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, right? So... (laughs) I would say that it, that it, still, it still exists um, in organizations where you do have some organizations where, you know, the CEO and the, the senior executives, you know, they, they're sort of elite. They're in the Ivy Tower. They're untouchable. I was uh, working with one organization where the CEO had to walk around with security. You know, can you imagine that? Um,
0: and was that ego, well, or was that he was genuinely under threat?
1: Excuse me?
0: was that his ego playing out or was he genuinely did he need security because of who he was you know maybe very rich and was a kidnapping um, threat I,
1: I, I don't think it was the latter um mm. uh, but again you know you you never know but i know that the optics weren't um weren't good um so here's the thing in terms of mission and vision right so you bring these consultants in they they they, they Talk with the top folks in the company, and the top folks in the company come up with the mission and vision of the of the organization, right? So, which means that ninety nine percent of the organization had no input whatsoever into the mission and vision. So, it's almost like buying a car versus renting a car. So, when when you when you rent a car, you really don't care too much about it. You don't get it washed, you don't change you don't change the oil. You drive it, you know, you drive the hell drive the hell out of it. You don't do any maintenance, right? Now, if you own the car, you take you take care of it. So I think that one of the things we have to do, we have to figure out how, how do you get more folks involved in that sort of vision, missioning process, uh, number one. Now, it might be too late if your organization is already embedded, you know, it's already there, then you start with the hiring process, right? You hire people who are aligned with your vision and, and your mission and your, and, and your values, and then that makes it easier. Um, but it all goes to hell if the leadership, the top folks in the organization aren't exhibiting those values. You know, aren't mm. walking the talk, so, so, so to speak. So, three things. Okay, you know, you're starting it out. If you're, if you're just coming up with it, get more people involved. What I did, I just sent out a survey to my entire organization. It was, you know, it was a global organization, about 60 people. But everybody had input into the mission and vision. If only because they filled out a survey, and when we finally came up with the mission and vision, they saw the one word or the one sentence that they contributed. All right, so there's ownership there. Now, if you already have an established organization and that's, that's not feasible because you're not going to come up with a new mission and vision, then you need to have some conversations about what the mission and vision is, why, why it's important, what you expect your, your employees to do, and then you have to show that you're willing to lead by example and, and give them the opportunity if, if at any time I'm not leading by example. If you see me uh, not exhibiting these values, not living up to, to, the, to these principles, it's your responsibility to tell me to hold me accountable, because I'm not perfect.
0: <laughs> Is that the acid test, by the way, for great leadership? The acid test being that you can challenge them and they they they're, they're, they're listen, they're, they're open to that feedback versus organizations where you just can't challenge the leaders.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I, I can share an experience that I had, right? So one of the things, uh, um, one of the organizations I was leading um, I, I had gotten promoted and it wasn't close to what was going on at all. <laughs> right, I was in, sort of in that ceremonial world, you know, as, as you as you mm. rise up the ranks, so to speak. And I didn't feel like I was getting honest, direct feedback from um, from team members. And I would have skip level meetings and two down meetings and you know staff meetings. And I felt that folks just give me the, the sort of the company line. Mm. And um, I would do these weekly videos uh, on on Fridays, letting the whole organization know the good, the, good, the bad, and the ugly of, of what was happening, and thanking them for coming to, uh, to work. And I would always ask, you know, hey, what can I do better? What's wrong? What am I doing that's bothering you? What do we need to, what do we need to change? And I remember I had one uh, sort of one-on-one, two-down meeting, and this woman, her name was Valtina Sylvain. I always want to give her credit. And... She told me two or three things, and I I see she was nervous. She she told me two or three things that I needed to stop doing as a leader right away. And one of them, which was, you know, when I would come out to sort of just show that I was normal and wanted to socialize with everybody, and I would tell them, hey, if if you're working on something, just let me know. I'll I'll walk away. I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to stay connected. And she said, you know, Kaleem, you can say that all you want, but as the head of the organization, no one's going to say no.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, because of that position power, as much as they might want to. So she said, you need to stop doing that right away because it takes us away from doing the work, the work that we're doing. So when mm-hmm. I made my weekly video, one of the things I said, hey, I want to thank Valtina. She brought this to my attention. Obviously, if she brought it to my attention, she's not the only one that this, this bothers. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work on getting better at it, but you've got to help me <laughs> because it's natural for me to want to come out and, and, and talk to people. I put yes. that video out, uh, my next one-on-one or two down meeting, someone else came in and they had a list of things, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, 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 the good, the good that came out of it was, Hey, people knew that, you know, that, um, they were going to get recognized for, for bringing, for bringing things up, that it was okay to, uh, to, 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 challenge leadership. And a lot of these things, when it would come to me, I mean, it was like an avalanche people. How about this? And how about that? People came in with a bunch of stuff. But um, what that engendered was sort of open, free uh, communication. And it was really one of the best experiences of my life. I saw the organization change from uh, when we started doing employee engagement scores and and leadership scores, uh, you know, going from literally the the, the fourth quartile to having the best scores in the entire global organization, you know, in a two-year period. And that's probably one of the the sort of turnarounds that I'm most proud of.
0: Mm. It's a great example of vulnerability being true power. Well, it's valuable,
1: right? So it's valuable because those are the things that I value, right? So I I think Mm -hmm. that leaders have to be very uh, transparent in what they value, transparent in terms of talking about what's important. and and why it's important and then over time you want to attract more people that are aligned with the values that you're trying to engender and those folks that have different values and and believe me that's okay we we don't all have the same values right Mm -hmm. but but let's help them get to an organization where they're going to be more successful because uh you know how they go about the work and and the types of things they're doing and how, how they're interacting is more aligned with their personal values and i think that's when you have when you can create that environment that's when you've got, you've got something, you've got something special.
0: And that's, and that's what you can sense. That's the, the energy that comes off that when you walk into a room where people are giving of themselves, they're expressing themselves, they're communicating, you can sense that energy, there's no question about it. When you walk into an organization, when everybody's afraid to say anything, they're watching who's looking at them, what they, what they should be, you know, are they doing the right things, and they're nervous about it. You can sense that as well, because it's dead, there's a dead energy. And uh, I've worked in both, and, and, and that was the kind, of, I, I kind of, my, my apologies, I, I diverted you from the question, which was around how do you even overcome that, or can you, do you, I mean, do you when you go into an organization, how often do you come a, a counter that organization where you say look i 'm sorry 're past health i, I can 't help this organization or, or or is that even a thing
1: well if if you' if you 're doing a good job interviewing before you join the organization right you can find yeah. out i mean you can find out right away you can find out when you walk in for the interview uh, you know how the executive assistants how they how they 're inter- interacting uh, mm. you, you can tell um, if, if you sit down with, with, with folks and you, you figure out, okay, listen, are they trying to find someone to blame or are they trying to solve a problem? And, you know, it's a simple question, mm-hmm. right? So if something goes wrong, says, okay, what do we need to do to fix it versus, well, who did it? Yeah, yeah.
0: I love that one. Are they trying to fix something? Uh, you see, and there was a couple of things that I took out from our, our conversation today. I love that one. Are they looking for somebody to blame or are they looking to fix it? And that's, you're right, that's easy to identify with. Um, yeah, I love that. I think that should be the title of this talk. <laughs> it might, uh, yeah, it's, that's, I, I love that um, because it's. it's you, you mentioned that one of the values was simplification,
1: and that's an example. It. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, is is that when you can simplify the complex, in terms of how people assess things, for example. Um, yeah. That makes all the difference. Can you, though? Know, my question was related to: Okay, if I'm interviewing for an organization, what do I look for? What about you as a consultant going into an organization? Are there organizations where you go, you know, you're too far gone? I can't help you. Or, or is, is is that even is is that true? I mean, or or is everybody? Can everybody be rescued?
1: I don't know if everyone can be rescued, but everyone can be helped. <laughs> mm. Okay. okay. Uh, Another
0: one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So,
1: so I think, and and, and and that's my job. My job is to help is to help people, right? So again, mm. the learning solutions to help people reach their potential. Yeah. And communicate their value, right? Yeah. So you know, again, keeping it re- real simple. All right. What potential are the people in your organization not reaching? All right. Yeah. And what could I do to help them? start reaching their their potential right right um, in terms of communicating their value how are your people not communicating okay um, what are they not telling you what's what's happening with them talking about what what's, what's going on and is there a way for me to help you now ultimately the long the long- term uh, benefit is going to be if the organization buys in to, to the solution now, if they don't okay then it's not going to be a, a long-term solution here's a story that I had was did some consulting for an um, a HR, HRMS firm, I do a lot of work in that, in, in, in that space. And they, they wanted me to come in and sort of document their processes. So I came in, I sort of got their processes doc, 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 documented, got them visibility, put in place a whole technology dashboard system so they can see what was going on. So six months later, after the engagement was over, the, um, uh, the president of the company calls me up and so I start laughing. He says, well, why are you laughing? I said, I know why you're calling. He says, okay, well, why am I calling? I said, you're right back to where you were before I came in and did the engagement. He said, what do you mean? How'd you know? I said, because you didn't have anyone paying attention to it. <laughs> right? You could put everything in place, but just like a garden, you have to care for your plants. You have to fertilize it. You have to, have to feed them. You have, you have to get rid of, rid of the weeds. So to speak, and whatever process improvement mechanism you put in place, communication movement you put in place, any training you you, you put in place, that's just one piece of the puzzle. The other mm. other piece is the care of mm. that thing that you've put in place. And if you don't yeah. do that, you're going to be right back to where you were. And, and okay. you know, we've all seen it again, again, the, the the soup du jour, the soup of the day, the you know, the the yeah. um, uh, you, you know, the, the thought of the moment, <laughs> the book of the month. Yeah. Okay. Um, all this stuff will work, like, like a diet. Pick a diet. They all work if you follow them. If you don't follow them, you're not going to be successful.
0: Yeah. And that's what troubles me the most about organizational consulting is I've done some of this work with companies as well, where I'll go in and I'll say, okay, here's the hard bit, guys. I can come in and do this, this, X, Y, and Z. The hard bit is when I leave, in terms of you call about care of it. And they'll go, yeah, 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 yeah. no, we'll definitely... And you can tell... They just, they're ticking a box. They just you know, got consultant in, ran this program, and then they're expecting results. Why? And uh, they, then they're shocked when they don't get it, but at least, and, and, and that was evident in the fact that you knew what this guy was going to say before he even said it, because you've yeah. obviously seen it. It's, it's the biggest barrier. It's that bit that comes afterwards. People just think there's only one box to be ticked, and that would be my message to anybody that for any kind of organizational transformation, is spend time on that, um, but yeah. Anyway, that's, that's I, I don't know that we're going to fix that today. Uh, theme, I, we're, we're we're just up against the buffers on time, and I wanted to say that in the, the very short time that I've had to talk to you, I can tell you live by these values. There's no question about it. Your ability to make the complex simple is amazing. Um, you, you you lead by example, and so I, I'm. Thank you for your time today, it was, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I wanted to ask you a very quick question just to give people a sense of, I'm curious, what, you, you've written three books and you've contributed to many others. What do you do with downtime or do you have any?
1: <laughs> you know, that's something, you know, I, I, I love what I do. Hmm. So it really doesn't feel like work. You know, I, I teach at university. And um, um, so, you know, I, I do these videos for the, you know, f- for, for my students because I just think that, hey, you know, they need more than sort of what's just, just in the book. And they say, well, you know, mm. when do you yeah. find time to do it? You know, aren't you tired? You're doing all this other stuff. I say, no, I love this. This is my, yes. you know, th- this is my calling in life, you know, to do this. So I, I don't, now I do like to do other things. I, I play golf and, you know, I'm not good at it, but I enjoy sort of being out there whacking at the ball. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of my, my passion and I think one, you know, one day I'll be okay at it and I'll never be really good maybe, but uh, <laughs> I hope to get decent at it and, and not embarrass myself on the front nine. <laughs> anyway.
0: Final but, uh, question. Um, your house is burning down and your family are safe, if any animals are safe and, and your phone is okay as well and your computer. <laughs> but you've got time to run back into, the, into your home and get one item, what would it be?
1: I've got a picture of my mother. Um, mm. That, and uh, she's been going for, you know, for, for a number of years. Um, but what that, you know, sort of, uh, in terms of letters behind your name, um, uneducated woman, what uh, what she did and how she impacted people. Um, you know, I, I think at some point I'll maybe write a book about that, but they'll write books about what she was able to do. She just had a way where, where people would come to her and she would listen mm. to people's problems, and, and, and she was a trusted advisor to people. Mm. And um, she's clearly the most influential person in my life. So you start talking about the value of character, and I think I said earlier, my mother would always say, hey, never let someone take you out of who, who you are. Uh, so there are times where I look at that picture and I say, well, Mom, what am I supposed to do? So if I had to run back in the house, I'd run and get that picture, because that, that picture is something that I use to help keep me grounded.
0: That's probably a good place to leave it, Kaleem. Kaleem, Islam, your latest book is The 12-inch Rule of Leadership, Proven Strategies for Career Success, and that's, I guess, on Amazon and all good bookstores yeah. right Apple, now. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah.
0: And, and, and there's a Kindle version as well, so people don't, don't even have to put off that decision. They can do it right now. Go online. Boom, you, can and do it, you can
1: do it right now, <laughs> and you'll get something out
0: of it. Thank you for, for being so generous with your time
1: and talking to, you, to me today. I really appreciate it. I really enjoyed the conversation, Paul. Thanks for having me.